This is the Education Gadfly Show. The entire neighborhood was out in the cul-de-sac along with my husband and the, and the mailman came by with a mail. He's like, do any of you people work? <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest of the week, the solar eclipse of education reform, Jessica Sutter, the founder and president of EdPro Consulting. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, Alyssa. How are you? Yeah, no big deal with the like name that I just gave you there. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm honestly humbled by that. That's pretty impressive. Solar eclipse, yeah. So Mike's away this week, obviously, and we're joined with Brandon Wright as well. I didn't just Hello. rest the mic <laughs> from Mike. Mike's out this week, so I get control of the show. It's my show. I was thinking perhaps to Kesha. I was thinking perhaps to Taylor Swift <laughs> because I never get to make my pop culture references and with it's always- weird snag video? Yes, thank you. That's something to discuss. Very Weird. Thank Pretty you. Weird. Thank you. But I can never have these discussions because Mike's always like, here's a baseball player that did something inventive in the field. And I'm just like, I have nothing to add. <laughs> but this week, I feel like we have to go with the solar eclipse because it was like the coolest thing ever. It was. It was the coolest thing ever. I got to watch it in Raleigh where we were at 94%. Oh, wow. Totality. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you have the glasses? We had the glasses and I was actually with a bunch of colleagues. So we had a pack of about 10 of us with our glasses. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was weird here. Unless you knew that the solar eclipse was happening, you wouldn't actually, like, the, the sun didn't actually change from a naked eye standpoint. Yeah, but Brandon, you like did. Like, it might have got a little cooler or, like, or like a little less bright, like, at the yeah. peak. But The shadows, though. The crescents. The crescents was cool. I built my own cereal box. Uh, pinhole projection, I believe it's called. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Took photos every like half hour, maybe 15 minutes, made them all into one photo and tweeted it. And I'm going to brag here, Capital Weather Gang, which is the Washington Post, like sort of famous Twitter account retweeted it. Capital uh, Weather Gang is like a worthy they're brag. They're legit. That's awesome. I that immediately awesome. sent a text to my wife. Very excited. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> like they are one of those, like if you're not in DC, they're just like local celebrities on Twitter and they're so funny. And if they think you're funny too, that's like a nice little pat in the back there. Absolutely. We had a 17 year old with Fun. us watching and she said it looked like an Instagram filter had been put over the sky. So I actually thought was a pretty good description okay, of sure. the, the yeah. tone change. Yeah. Sure. All right. I don't know. I'm like not, I was a humanities student. Like STEM was always not really my thing. And I was like, whatever guys. But just seeing everyone and like in downtown DC, there were so many people like on the streets, sharing glasses, like crowds in Farragut, like not to be cheesy, not to be sappy, but it was really cool to like see everyone come together and like collectively nerd out, which I feel hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, it was fun. Everyone from like age five to 80 were actually like earnestly excited. Yeah. Which was really cool to see. There's nothing I like better than nerdiness. And that is why... Nice segue there. We're about to head into our Ed Reform update. This week, we are going to talk about what is unironically one of our favorite topics around here, charter accountability. And it really is. It's one of those topics that we discuss a lot and we think about a lot around here. And Jess, you do a lot of research into the topic of charter accountability. So we thought this was a great thing to kind of bring back up. And it's been in the news a lot this year, in part because of a broader debate around accountability and choice, public school and private school. And last week, Secretary DeVos gave a interview to the Associated Press where she talked about in part, private school accountability. And while she talking about private school accountability, she said that she thought that authorizers play an important role for charters. But on the topic of private school accountability, she thought the first line of defense was with parents. And Checker Finn read this, President Emeritus here at Fordham, and decided to write a piece in response saying, essentially, you know, if parents are the first line, well, what's the second line? So that's what we're going to talk about today, whether or not this parent-only or parent-mostly approach to accountability works for schools of choice, specifically charter schools. 
So that's kind of my question is like on this topic, there is this huge market-based movement that's definitely made a resurgence in the last couple of years. What do we see as the best first line for charter accountability? And Jessica, I know you are almost, almost, almost finished with a PhD looking at this topic. So close, I can taste it. Um, Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about it is the research shows that most charter schools that are closed are closed by their authorizers and they're starting to get closed more often for academic reasons, Mm -hmm. but they're closed for financial reasons, for mismanagement reasons. So parents as a first line is a nice thought, but the research doesn't bear out that parents walk away from schools that aren't keeping commitments to things like their charter contracts. Mm-hmm. So I think, and Mike came up with two, a uh, quiz a couple of months ago, and he wanted to call it a Cosmo quiz. <laughs> I refused to let him use that term. <laughs> I think I took uh, that quiz. Yeah. And it's all about like, what kind of kind of charter fan are you? And like, what level of autonomy are you comfortable with? And I think Mike was very much like, he's very comfortable like with a lot of oversight around financial issues, uh, charter management issues, things like that. And those things are traditionally things that we've left to the authorizers and given authorizers authority over if I'm remembering things correctly, right? Yeah. Like most authorizers in this country can close a school that's not being fiscally sound. Yeah, there's usually like uh, within state law, there's reasons a school can be mm-hmm. closed and they almost always include something about fiscal mismanagement or mm-hmm. fraud or malfeasance. Um, issues of sort of organizational management get a little fuzzier in terms of what that means. They typically, the finances are sort of the lead off hit that something's mm-hmm. happening. Um, here in D.C., though, we've had a couple places where people got investigated by local authorities for management failures and that led to closures of schools. Yes, as I would argue they should. Yeah, I I would agree. Another problem that I always think about when when people talk about the sort of very market-based approach to school choice is, I mean, so say I go onto Amazon and I want to buy like a little speaker for my iPhone or something, mm-hmm. right? I pay, you know, 20 or $50. I get it. I look at what reviews say and stuff and, you know, I get it and maybe I don't like it all that much, right? So I get another one or I don't use it or something, right? Opting for a school is a very, very different thing, right? (laughs) Saying, well, this school, if it's bad, will close and it'll sort of solve its own problem ignores all the problems that arose from it being a bad enough school to close in the first place. Yeah, These are kids who are going to, if a school closes because it's bad, who have been going to a bad school for three, four, five years, even one year, even half a year. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a problem. They're not going to get that education back. It's not right. just a widget. It 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 is it is it is a school. It is an education that affects these kids' lives. It is therefore, I think, incredibly important to ensure that schools are good before they open, that they stay good, mm-hmm. that parents get all the information they possibly can to yes, be informed consumers and sort of vote with their feet to an extent. But there have to be other lines of defense, other lines of quality control. Yeah, and just a parent marketplace by itself doesn't provide that. I would, yeah. And I think that's where Checker's argument about the public good really comes into play. And I do think um, parents are a good first line. Like if you don't like your school, you should be able to move your child out of that school and you should hopefully have gained enough information. And that's something else I want to talk about is this question of parent information to make that decision to based on the things that you find important and valuable in a child's education. But then, so my question before the question, though, is if parents are that first line, then what should that second line be? Are we looking at test scores? What should that second line just be financial management? Then I think we do get into this like values question. I think, I mean, one of the things that's interesting when you were pointing (laughs) out, Brendan, was this question of, you know, if I don't like 
my my iPhone. I can pick another product. I can pick another thing. But that affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. And mm-hmm. the question of public good means mm-hmm. that kids in low-performing schools mm-hmm. academically affect society. It affects um, future citizens and mm-hmm. what they know and what they're able to do. I think to your point about the second line, though, the question is, in most state laws, charters sign contracts with their mm-hmm. authorizers. And in their contracts, they promise to do certain things. So one of the second lines is, if you promised to do this list of 10 things— and you're not doing them, that's a good second line. So we're not measuring you against some abstract standard. We're measuring you against what you agreed to do and why we opened you in the first place. So mm-hmm. if that was academic excellence, great. If that was providing a Montessori education, great. If that's performing for special education students in particular, then we need to be measuring you against what you said you would do and what yeah. we agreed to open you for. It's an excellent point, right? Yeah. Because one of the great things about school choice is that different parents want different things for their kids and different kids thrive in different environments. Sometimes that's a rigorous academic school, mm-hmm. right? That's that's sort of all about test scores and high performance and yep. things like that. Sometimes it's not. And both of those are okay as long as the schools providing them are mm-hmm. doing what, what they promise to, what they're designed to actually do. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think you're... You're exactly right that test scores can be a part of it, but it doesn't really have to be. Yeah. And what I do like about that sort of frame is, you know, looking at the charter is one of the trade-offs. And I'm a firm believer in having strong accountability systems from a civil rights perspective, from a school accountability perspective. But one of the things that I recognize that has a, um, you know, disincentive consequence, which is if you're putting a lot of emphasis on tests, you're, you know, kind of detracting anyone who might want to open a school that really serves a high-risk population, whether that's pregnant teens, whether that's students with special needs, whether that's sure. dropout recovery, things like that. And I would argue that those are populations that especially need schools. So if our system is set up in a way to discourage people from opening potentially schools that work for those students, that's a problem for me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that was interesting about Checker's sort of response to this was this piece about um, what the second line could be mm-hmm. also not in charter settings. And I think one of the things that's instructive about charter accountability is Sometimes, and I know this is true in D.C., there's an opportunity for a mission-specific indicator. Mm -hmm. So while there might be some standard indicators that an authorizer decides on to make sure they can measure everybody with some commonality, Mm -hmm. they then allow for these specific things to say, okay, we're an arts-focused program. We're going to have these indicators that show our success. Or we're working Mm -hmm. with pregnant and parenting teens, and one of our indicators has to do with their well-being beyond the schooling day. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think those are opportunities, too, for making sure that this second line is both accountable for the public good, but specific to the kinds of folks who might choose the school for their kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think also, too, then getting back to this question, if their parents are the first line, a lot of that comes down, I think, to parent information. And I worked at a charter school that did have a specific mission focus, but also was not doing really well academically at the time that I was teaching there. And one of the challenges was who's giving these parents information, how accessible is this information? And I was always sort of skeptical that sending home a report in a kid's backpack from a test provider six months after, you know, the test had been taken, they've moved on to a different grade was necessarily the best way. And then, you know, we'd have these kind of moments of crises in the school and parents would get really upset and have this, well, I chose the school kind of mindset about these crises and it was just not a great communication environment. And so I think the question of information transparency and whether or not we're A, getting it to parents, but B, then also trusting parents to make the decision that's best for them is a really tough trade-off. In the tracker piece, he brings up uh, as an example, um, right, the FDA, right? Um, Mm -hmm about how it is indeed important mm-hmm. that food has to say what's in it, how many calories, et cetera, mm-hmm. has to fit certain um, requirements of 
food safety and things to protect the consumer because a consumer can't know everything. It can't just go to a grocery store where right. any food product can say anything right. it wants. The jungle is a very And then be book. informed enough That's... to make safe and good choices, right? So, yeah. so like there are some baseline sort of regs that need to be in there that to an extent could be interpreted as as accountability that should be designed to ensure that parents are informed consumers and that schools just can't and clearly most schools wouldn't do this but if some schools are allowed to some schools will and that will affect kids who are going there so schools can't just say or represent whatever they want to actually say mm-hmm. right I think have to be accurate and truthful. I think beyond even just like what the school puts out, I think there's sort of two other things that um, come to mind with parent information. And one is like that reliable third-party information source. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like a, a consumer report style thing that you'd find for a, a gadget. Mm-hmm. You need that for schools. So mm-hmm. whether that's put out by the authorizer or if it's put out by a third-party nonprofit organization with a focus great on schools. quality, great yeah. schools. But then I think there's the other piece, which is, you know, when I was deciding which new iPhone to get, whether I should upgrade to the 7 or stick with my 6, I asked my friends, mm-hmm. who has the 7? What do you like? What do you like? And I think parents do that too. They ask oh, yeah. their friends, they ask their neighbors, they ask their family members about schools they like, what they like about them. And I think that's when things get interesting, but also tricky, mm-hmm. um, because that's where we have to trust that if a parent is selecting a school based on safety mm-hmm. or based on proximity, while that may not be the choice we make for our own child, mm-hmm. um, it's important for whoever's in charge, the authorities, the authorizers, not to negate yeah. those things that matter greatly to the folks who are doing the choosing. Yeah. Sort of a hiccup I see there, though, is, <laughs> right, if I pick a phone, it's, it's a pretty low stakes thing. There, oh, like, there, there, there isn't anything that my phone says about me as like a person. There's no like personal failure if I pick a bad phone. Right. Right. If I'm picking a school for my child, right. A, I clearly think that that's a good school. Mm-hmm. B, if it turns out that it's a bad school, that would be very devastating to me as a parent, right? And when you see these surveys where you ask parents, how good is your kid's school? The vast majority of parents say my school is like very yeah. high quality. Everybody yeah. loves their Everyone own loves school. my school. Yeah. Everyone else right? is and, terrible. And I think the psychology behind that is understandable and somewhat obvious. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think for a phone asking... How do you like your iPhone 7? Do you like the Android better, right? Fine, right? I think that's a great approach. But for schools, I just can't imagine a parent being like, well, Bobby goes to charter school A. It really sucks. But we're keeping him there, right? Like, like Right. No one says that. Exactly. And that, that to me is a sort of baked in unavoidable flaw to such a system that relies, again, only on parents. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, I heard, I think it was Chris Stewart who actually said this at a parent uh, session at a conference mm-hmm. I went to about the fact that what parents were looking for is support, um, not to be told what to do. And mm-hmm. so I think part of this is maybe what we need to do in addition to providing information to parents is to provide accessible opportunities for parents to get support that mm-hmm. is both knowledgeable, but also considered trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the authorities telling me what to do with my kid, which could feel very adversarial. Or yeah. worse, the authorities telling you that you've done wrong. Well, right. Like, that you picked badly. That's the worst. <laughs> they, right. Or that you're not capable of yeah. picking a good school. Sure. Um, so finding the balance on that, I think, is really tough. And I don't think we've cracked the nut on that. Mm-hmm. In most places. Yeah, no, and I certainly don't think it's necessarily a nut that we're going to fully crack today, but I do think yeah. that's... <laughs> <laughs> you don't think I'm so? trying with these segues, you guys. But anyways, I do think that's all the time that we have for Ed Reform Update. Thank you so much, Jess, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Next up, Amber's Research Minute. 
And we're back with Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alyssa. Now, on Monday, did you, too, go outside with a pair of very thick of and weird glasses? Course. Wasn't it cool? It was so cool. It but, was so I cool. I mean, I had this huge cloud come, uh, I don't know, did that only happen to me, like, right at 2.44 when it's supposed to be, like, the best <laughs> time to see it where I live in Richmond? Big, huge cloud. I'm like, seriously, go away. <laughs> it, was, it was a little overcast in D.C., but it was... um. I mean, the glass, like it's the sun. Like yeah. it's very bright. If yeah, you put on the glasses, bright. it cuts But right it was through. cool. Like I got a nice crescent at one point that was yeah. just pretty, pretty striking. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, as it I was, was saying earlier, it was fun and nerdy. And like, I know. I thought it was funny because like my entire, I live in a together. little cul-de-sac neighborhood and my entire neighborhood was out in the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. along with my husband and, and, the, and the mailman came by with a mail. He's like, do any of you people work? <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome because like I, that, that's so rare now. Yes, right? yeah, that's like, right. It seems like something you would see on like a 50s television show that's or something. Right. Yeah, like, that's commonly, right. But now everyone is just, you know, inside <laughs> or glued there. Or on their iPhones. some sort of screen. Yeah. And right. uh, like that's, that's actually what I like so much about it because here, yeah. I mean, you just saw a partial. So yeah. like, like it, it didn't block out the sun. You wouldn't even know that it happened unless right. you knew it was going to happen. Happened. That's right. Um, uh, but it was sort of the community effect that I yeah. thought was actually really, really cool too, and so rare. Right? Go science, go community. I know. I know. Great and I'm day. like, I've got a three o'clock call. Got to run. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm assuming your research minute is not about science. It is not. Oh, what do you it got? It is for us about today? school safety, uh, specifically in charter and traditional schools, comparing school safety in the two sectors. Really cool study. Uh, we hear a lot anecdotally that families who live in urban areas routinely cite school safety as one of the reasons for seeking out a charter school. And we have charter schools in Dayton ourselves as an authorizer. And I know um, we hear this a lot from the folks who work with our schools that they often choose mm-hmm. schools because parents perceive them as safer, uh, the charter school option. But we actually don't know empirically whether that's actually true, if they're any safer than than the alternative. So analysts focus their study in Detroit, uh, obviously has an alarmingly high rate of crime and poverty. Uh, and this stat was horrendous. Uh, 55% of Detroit high schoolers reported being a victim of violence. 87% report having a relative or friend shot, murdered, or disabled by violence in the past. 12 months. 87%. 87%. That is heartbreaking. Right. I mean, yikes. In and res- I'm from the area. That's, oh, my Or like, you know, the suburbs. Nearby. That's anyway. right. Okay. Yeah. In response, the Detroit Public Schools established a school district police re- department. Like, literally, they have a police mm-hmm. department that's associated with the school. About 200 police officers and security personnel work in the city's traditional public schools. Anyway, nearly half of all students living in Detroit attend a charter school. I think behind, it's the second, I think, largest sector. As for student demographics, approximately 91% of charter school students are African-American, 87% economically disadvantaged. Those numbers are a little lower in traditional schools, about 86 and 79% respectively. Mm-hmm. Analysts link student reported survey data on school safety for 2014-2015. They combine the years. So it's questions like, how safe do you feel in the bathroom of your school? Mm-hmm. How safe do you feel in the hallway, in your classroom, outside the building, so on and so forth. And then they link those data with school characteristics, student demographics, neighborhood characteristics, like the reported crime in the neighborhood. And this was interesting, the structural vacancy rate for city buildings. So how many empty buildings do you have that are closed Mm -hmm. up, boarded up, whatnot? Uh, Also, average commute commute to the school, the distance, Mm -hmm. and parental involvement. So all that stuff, Mm -hmm. they're able to link to these student survey responses. 
And then they divide schools based on how far students on average commuted to them. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of setup. But anyway, uh, and the commuter schools tend to be a little further away than the neighborhood schools, obviously. All right. Key finding. Analysts find that traditional public schools show higher rates of reported crime in school and violent crime in school than charter schools. Initial findings also show that charter schools exhibited higher perceived safety than traditional public schools. It's about 0.68 standard deviation higher. Wow. Yet, and this is really the headline, uh, once controls are added for student commute distance and parental involvement, these are the things that seek to control for the self-selection bias because Mm -hmm. we know that more motivated parents may be disproportionately attracted to charter schools. So they try to control that through these parent involvement measures that teachers uh, provided and the distance to school because more parents might be, more motivated parents might be willing to travel farther, okay? Mm -hmm. So once they do that, the differences mostly go away and they're no longer statistically significant. The one exception to that was the neighborhood charter schools. Again, these are the ones that are closer. Um, They maintain their higher perceived safety rating even after the controls were applied. And the analysts start speculating. They say, well, that could be because these schools have highly structured learning environments. Maybe they have stricter enforcement of behavioral codes. But again, all that's speculative because they really don't feel like their study design was robust enough to be able to control for what else may be going on. Um, So you can't really rule out the selection bias problem. Uh, And finally, this was the other thing. They, They found that neighborhood crime and structural vacancy were unrelated to school safety, which you would think, well, that's kind of odd, but they said that since crime is so pervasive in Detroit, there are very few low-crime neighborhoods for these schools to locate, so there's probably no variation there for Mm -hmm. them to make much of. Bottom line, the study raises more questions than it can answer. There's suggestive evidence that charter schools that are closer to where students live are doing something right in the way of safety, Mm -hmm. but we really don't know definitively whether that's the case. So, hey, I like the study because there's this anecdotal feeling, right, and sense among parents that, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to, the charter schools are safer. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And this is one of a handful of studies that actually tries to look at empirically. And unlike studies before it, it actually has some control variables in it mm-hmm. that we didn't used to see in, in earlier mm-hmm. generation studies. We need to do a lot more around this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I, I like the study, even though it's not like, oh, here's this clear-cut finding I can share with our listeners. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. Seems interesting in that the study was somewhat hampered by the fact that so many parts of Detroit are so violent. But at the same time, it wouldn't make sense to do this study in, for example, a suburb. Like I said, I grew up 30 minutes from there. I never felt unsafe in my classroom or my hallway or right. my community. Right. So like it wouldn't make sense to do that in my suburb. Right. Um, right. So it's 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 such an interesting issue. We talked about this before we started to record how school safety is brought up so often when people just sort of talk about schools, but mm-hmm. it's people don't dive into it all that often. So it is good to see, but it's clearly a difficult subject to study. Oh, that's right. And mm-hmm. I like that they're asking kids, yeah, right? Because when you ask teachers, I mean, that's something different than when you ask teachers, mm-hmm. when you ask kids, what are you mm-hmm. experiencing? Like, Especially teachers aren't with, in the kids' bathroom, yeah, right? Especially with right. bullying and cyberbullying and mm-hmm. kind of every new way that kids have found, because kids have always tormented each other behind a teacher's back. That's and just right. it's become much more pervasive in the ways in which they That's can do right. it and these days. And there's no reason for them to not tell the truth on a survey yeah. like this. You know, yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about survey bias, but it's hard for me to imagine that kids wouldn't feel like they could be mm-hmm. honest on an anonymous survey like this. Mm-hmm. 
It's also really nice and interesting complement to the discussion we had earlier about charter accountability and parents' perceptions of charter schools. Mm. And frequently, at least in my experience, the fact that you choose a charter school because it then becomes a reflection of your parenting and your values Mm. and your choices as a parent, you're a little more invested in it just in terms of like, well, I chose it, so therefore it must be a good choice, that kind of logic. And I feel like that could also apply to school safety. You've chosen it, so you perceive it as being safer than maybe it actually is. Right. And, And the schools, by the way, probably know that, right? Yeah. So maybe, you know, inadvertently they're trying to amplify that perception of parents, even if they're not safer, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, they can just capitalize on that and say, oh, we provide a safer environment without really having any Mm -hmm. statistics because I know that parents think that and why not tell them that? I mean, not that I'm thinking, I'm not, I don't know that that happens, but I'm just saying it could be happening. Yeah. And I do feel, and uh, again, kind of reflective of my own anecdotal experience being a teacher in a charter school in D.C., Um, A lot of the kind of steps that charter schools, I think, took maybe 15 years ago to either increase, you know, safety or increase orderliness within schools have been adopted in large part by Mm. public schools. You know, most schools in D.C., whether they're charter or public, have a uniform, for instance. Mm. And I think that was something that maybe half generation ago was a signal to parents like this is a safer thing because there's less because that's been shown to have an impact. Kids aren't going to tease one another because you're wearing your Walmart clothes and I'm wearing my Abercrombie and Fitch. or if you're between two territories that may have some gang challenges, mm-hmm. like you can't wear those colors to school. That's right. So uh, you might have said it, but I, I didn't catch it. Uh, aside from the charter district school comparison, <laughs> uh, what percentage of these kids in either school type actually did feel unsafe? Uh, I don't think I had that. You I didn't, didn't include it in okay. my write up. Right, right, yeah, right. I didn't include my write up. But um, I mean, it, I would guess that they there weren't huge differences, especially once they applied the controls. You know, I'm right. guessing whatever it was, they're similar. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 a good thing to to dig into. Yeah, yeah. Like, how big of a problem it actually is? That's right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I could imagine. If we're asking the question, it's clearly something top of mind and therefore probably a problem, but yeah. or certainly worth investigating. I oh, know. Sorry. It's a little depressing well, study, but anyway, yeah. we need we need answers to these yeah. questions. Certainly an important question. Yes. Yeah. And a nice break from the usual sort of test results and <laughs> you know, right. proficiency. I would say nice and, break, but I see where you're going there. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, a break but, at least. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Detroit continues to need help. Uh, good uh, resources, supports, uh, all that we can do in Detroit. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, not the most uplifting note that we've ever ended on, but that is certainly all the time that we have for Amber's Research Minute. Thank you, Amber. Yes, ma'am. And that's also all the time we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. I'm Brandon Wright. And I'm Alyssa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.